welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds Podcast. I'm Richie, joined as always with Matt, my co-host. Today is Sunday, June 6th, and we got a great show for you today. We're going to be going over some news and notes, prospect updates. We're going to take a look at the top five at each position where they stand now versus where they were preseason, and then some updates. But first, Matt, how are you doing? Man, it's been a busy week for me. I have not been able to stay in the fantasy eye like I would have liked. As I had kind of mentioned to you before the show, I briefly went through this week's matchup, kind of stopped on your team, and just marveled at Jesse Winker and Corbin Burns. Almost threw up. Yeah, um, it was pretty upsetting to see two of your players get you almost 60 points in one day, you know, players that uh, I really enjoy watching. And, yep, I lost by over 170 points this week. So, hey, you know what? Midseason struggles, I'm all about it. You got to get those duds out of the way. You don't want to have those in the playoffs. I'm a little upset with Corbin Burns. I didn't need his start today to secure the win, and I do play you next week. And he was originally slotted for a double start, which would have been fantastic. Now it's looking like our matchup is going to be coming down to the wire. Um, it's all going to come down to pitching, in my opinion. Yeah, my bats have not been playing at the level I expect them to. And I have kind of a ragtag group, right? I'm starting Ryan McMahon. I'm starting Jared Walsh starting Gavin Lux, who's kind of trying to find his footing. I have two great catchers in Posey and Carson Kelly. Never seem to start the right one. Jordan Alvarez has decided he wants to be an outfielder, so I guess that's good for me next year, but he needs to play better. And uh, Nelson Cruz, I think, likes his rocking chair a little bit too much because he has not been consistent for me. So if my bats show up, it will definitely be a pitching-heavy matchup, but it's exciting. We're, in our opinions, I think we're the two best teams. I'm just a lot less inconsistent than you are. So since I'm having a struggle internally of who to play at my last utility spot, I'm going to let you choose on the air. You get to choose to play against Tyler O'Neill, who's got two games against Cleveland and three games against Chicago, or Cabrian Hayes, who's got three games against the Dodgers and three games against Milwaukee. Okay, are Tyler O'Neill's games in Chicago or are they in St. Louis? They are in Chicago. Ooh, summer heat. So he's got one less game, but Cabrian Hayes has more, but potentially I don't know who's the starters for the Dodgers and the Brewers. Well, we know that Gonsolin, news that we'll talk about in a little bit, is coming back Wednesday. So he's going to face Gonsolin, more known as a ground ball pitcher, right? Gonsolin's probably going to give up mm-hmm. four to five hits, you know, maybe one home run. Um, I doubt it, though. It's the Pirates. Like, if Brian Hayes doesn't do it, he may just no-hit him. Um, just a joke, you know, settle down. Um, <laughs> honestly, I, I think I would just roll the dice with Cabrian. You really enjoy him. You like him. He's got an extra game. The Dodgers do have good pitchers, but you know what I feel about Tyler O'Neill. He's very streaky, and I feel like he's kind of coming to that tail end of that hot streak. What are your, what are your thoughts? I thought the same thing, too, and then I looked at the underlying numbers, and he's in the 90th percentile for everything. Exit velo, expected batting average, hard hit rate, you name it, they're all there. The only thing is this is strikeout rate is like 30%, which is crazy. I could be wrong. It, I think it's closer to 30 to 40. It's in that range of about a third of the time he's striking out. I look at his numbers, and I'll see one for four with a home run and a strikeout or two strikeouts, or two for four, and there's at least one strikeout every single game. So I, it just marvels at how he makes great contact, and when he's not, it's just a strikeout. Yeah, no, I agree. I think from a fantasy perspective, the you know safe play here is to play Tyler O'Neill, get that 20 points. Again, our league is in a strikeout-based league, so while it may be all or nothing, it doesn't negatively affect you. 
I think the high upside play, though, probably is Cabrian, right? If he can come back and have three home runs this week or two home runs and maybe go 10 for 18, uh, if he has the extra game. right? But again, the Dodgers pitchers are pretty strong. That's a toss-up. Um, I think high upside is Cabrian. I think the floor is probably Tyler O'Neill. All right. Well, you chose Cabrian Hayes, so that's what we'll go with, and uh makes my job easier. Let's get into some news and notes. I'll go through them briefly, and then you can touch on uh, what stands out to you. Evan Longoria was placed on the aisle with a left shoulder sprain. Adalberto Mondesi is back on the aisle with a left hamstring injury. Can't seem to stay healthy. John Means is on the aisle with a left shoulder strain. I'm telling you, those no-hitters. There's still no timetable for Mike Trout. He's unlikely to come back in that six weeks. Um, his original timetable was six to eight weeks. It's looking like closer to eight to ten now. J.D. Martinez was scratched from Saturday's start with a wrist injury. He's listed as day-to-day, but a recent update that I just got about a few minutes ago says it might be a long-term injury, so keeping an eye on that. Yadier Molina exited Saturday's game after taking a foul ball to his knee while he was catching, so we'll see what his injury looks like. Eliezer Hernandez was moved from the 10-day IL to the 60-day IL, and an MRI revealed that he had a severe quad injury, and now he's out at least until August. If you're in any kind of keeper or redraft league, I think you can just go ahead and let him go. I know in our league, I think he was drafted for like 15 20 bucks. Uh, I forget who has him, but whoever has him, they can let him go. Um, we'll take a break real quick, Matt. Those are some uh, notes I threw at you. What sticks out to you so far? Well, uh, the biggest one, and you had mentioned this, the no-hitters, right? They are literally falling by the wayside. Another player that we're going to touch on here in a second, Spencer Turnbull, also placed on the I.O. with that right forearm strain. You know, man, I don't necessarily truly believe it's these no-hitters that are exhausting these pitchers. What I think it is is the fact that they played 60 games last year, right? They started to ramp up. They shut down. They ramped up again. They played 60 games. And we're past that 60-game threshold this season, right? We're looking at, what is it, April, May, June. Like, we've just surpassed that for some of these teams. And I think these players are starting to have the effects of an actual season again. John Means, obviously, is also under the microscope for substance, right? He's, he's a guy that's been using substances to help with his grip and his control. And I think that has definitely aided his numbers. His underlying numbers are fantastic. His ERA and whip is great. But... It is disheartening to see these guys hit the shelf because they're great. They're playing well. They're, they're really riding some of their fantasy managers' teams to victory. And John Means is no joke. Like He has easily moved into the top 20 starting pitchers. So that's sad to see. Uh, I think it'll affect fantasy managers, but just IL them. We're in the middle of the season right now. we got a lot of baseball left. J.D. Martinez is big news, too. Obviously, J.D. is, I think, 33 or 34. He's a guy that's been hot that me and you kind of disagreed on earlier in the year. But here's the injury, right? So we'll see how long he's out. But wrist injuries, as we both know, they're never something that's easy to come back from. Harper's dealing with a wrist right now. Who knows what's going to happen with him? Uh, Alberto Mondesi, just really sad to see, right? Great speed option. He's, he was really starting to show some contact ability in the short time that he played while he was just coming back from his last IL stint. Evan Longoria, don't care so much. Don't have him rostered in any leagues. He's a guy that I think in 15 teams, you know, maybe 20-team dynasties definitely has some impact, but he's getting up there in age. Same thing with Yachty. Not a catcher that I'm rostering, uh, but definitely a guy that you can rely on in points leagues to be in there every single day. Eliezer, you're correct. They're going to be making some moves for Miami, bringing maybe some young guys up. Uh, we may touch on that later. But 
man, the injury bug. I'm at five right now on my team. You know, I was at like 10 earlier in the year. We have a player in our dynasty league that I think is at like 11 IL positions. People are just hurt this year, you know, and it's it's hard to deal with, but they've got to rebuild their rhythm and rebuild their their stamina to play a full season. I completely agree, and I think what there's been seven or eight no hitters, and now three of them are injured with John Means, um, Spencer Turnbull, and Corey Kluber out. So it's it's a matter of they're probably not fully ramped up either. But let's continue. Let's finish up the news and notes for injuries. Um, Eliezer Hernandez replacement Cody Petit was also placed on a 10-day IL with a right MCL sprain, likely out a couple weeks. Spencer Turnbull, who you alluded to earlier, is out with a right forearm strain. Bryce Harper actually returned from the IL yesterday. He's now two for eight with two runs, a RBI, and a stolen base since returning. And Tony Gonsolin, who you mentioned, um, is coming back to start Wednesday against the Pirates. Um, before we touch on these notes, I did want to mention, you mentioned John Means and his substance. Uh, off the air, we talked about Garrett Cole and what you saw from him and possibly not using substance. And we also have the same conversation about Trevor Bauer. What are your feels and what, what do you want to let the listeners know based on uh, the substance abuse policies possibly being put in place? Yeah, so I, I have a TikTok page that I follow. This gentleman um, produces videos based on the identification of substances being used. And his page is directly related to the performance enhancement that these substances ultimately give these pitchers. And he dissected Garrett Cole's game this past week against Tampa Bay, where he went five innings, gave up five runs. And he showed that Garrett Cole's spin rate on his fastball is down 400 RPMs, which is a significant difference. And when he was showing, showcasing his video, he was talking about the spin of the ball, especially on his curveballs. Garrett Cole's curveballs were really hanging up in the zone, kind of almost on like a dinner platter for hitters to hit. And when he's using substances, that ball sticks to his hand just enough longer than it would without where the ball dives into the dirt. And the fastball, I still did see Garrett Cole hit 100 miles an hour a couple times. Now, the speed of the ball and the RPM and spin rate does not have a correlation. You can still throw 100 miles an hour without having a high spin rate. And that is why these pitchers are using substances to increase the spin rate so that the ball has more movement and also comes to the hitters a little bit, I don't want to say quicker because, again, that's velocity, but it's harder to hit. You don't make as good contact. The ball is literally spinning too quickly. So yeah. I am very concerned with Garrett Cole um, just in this this division. He's got the Blue Jays. He's got the Rays. He's got some teams that are – he's got Boston – teams that are really competitive and if he's not using substances that drop in spin rate is really going to affect him he's going to need to learn how to rethrow that curveball without substances and as far as trevor bauer he doesn't throw 100 miles an hour he might be in serious shit if he's not going to be using substances yeah i watched a little bit of the game today and i don't know if he stopped using substances or when they're going to start cracking down but his pitches were close um to the strike zone and some of them were being called strikes when they should have been balls. And it was like, those could have easily been walks, but he got lucky and got a strikeout. So it easily, he had seven Ks with four walks today. It easily could have been reversed in my opinion and been seven walks with four strikeouts. Um, I'm very nervous for Trevor Bauer. I have him in two of my three leagues. So 
I'm praying that he figures it out and um, he doesn't go back to that slump year that we saw two years ago. But moving on, let's talk about some prospect updates. It is the middle of June, or we're coming up on the middle of June, so the Super 2 deadline is approaching. I'm curious, are we going to see Vidal, Brujan, and Wander Franco soon? What are your thoughts, Matt? You know, I think we I think we have to wait like we've been waiting for this Super 2. I heard this past week that June 8th to June 12th is kind of that closed window, right? Because we don't even officially know. From the information I was told, it was June 12th is the latest date has ever been. So I think that we're climbing closer to that. I would expect to see them this week, maybe next Monday, because that race team is still on fire, right? And they still need help. You know, Willie Adamas goes over to the Brewers and starts lighting it up. Like, they have this black hole with Tyler Walls, who's hitting like 224. It's time to bring one of the guys up. And Austin Meadows is performing well in the outfield, but Arena has his hot and cold streaks. They need somebody out there, and I would love to see these guys. But if we don't see them by the end of next week, I don't expect for them to come up this year. What do you think? I I agree. If they don't come up within the next week or two, I don't think we see them until August or September, um, which is very unfortunate. Um, but I do think they're too good. I think Bruhan easily could replace Kevin Kiermeyer in that outfield. And Wander Franco, he could replace any of those infielders. It'd be an instant upgrade. I think it's all a time manipulation. And who knows, maybe we see another trade coming up soon. Maybe Taylor Walls gets sent back down. We'll see. Let's move on, though. Uh, Bobby Witt is now up to nine home runs. Earlier this week, he had a three-homer night. Uh, a little surprising because he's not really known for his power. He is only batting 236 in the minors, but he does have seven stolen bases. Joe Adele is now leading all minors with 15 home runs. He's blown the, ne the next guy out, I think, has eight home runs. But if you watch them, they're all fastballs. He can't hit breaking balls, and I think that's what's preventing him from getting called up. Adley Rutschman went five for eight with two home runs over this weekend for double A. And... No surprise here, Jesus Sanchez is still on fire. He's second in the minors um, for average. What sticks out to you out of these guys, Matt? And tell us some guys that you're looking at. Yeah, so Bobby Witt is definitely outperforming kind of the peripherals that I had set for him as a minor leaguer and as a professional. And I listened to P361, which is a fantasy baseball dynasty podcast, specifically by Rich Wilson. Enjoyed in the deeper fantasy circles. Rich does a fantastic job of breaking down players. He enjoys kind of amateur scouting, and he has high upside for Bobby Witt. And the last person that I really took with Rich's advice was, was Scooball for the Tigers. And I had jumped on Scooball a few years ago from what Rich was telling kind of his listeners, and he was spot on. I think Rich's ability to scout is at a professional level, and what he has comped Bobby Witt to is a 280 hitter with 25 home runs, anywhere from, you know, 65 to 80 home uh, RBIs, depending on where he is in that order, which is far and away outside what I thought Bobby Witt was. He And he is showing us in the minor leagues that that's very well possible. I think Bobby Witt is going to be a better version of, of Dansby Swanson. Um, and I think to the owners that have him in dynasty leagues that may be thinking this hot start, it's time to trade him. I would disagree. I think it's time to hold. I think he is the shortstop of the future for your team. I think he's someone that you're going to be able to rely on. And I can't wait to watch him develop and kind of move through that minor league system. I don't expect to see him this year. Um, and as far as Joe Adele, I'm sorry. If you've got him in Dynasty Leagues, trade him. He's going to get back to the bigs. He's going to hit 220. He's going to basically be Justin Upton if he's lucky. 
And kind of to wrap up from my point of perspective, Ali Rutschman finally showcasing to us the next Buster Posey. He is the real deal. He's hitting like it. He's playing like it. The Orioles have an absolute franchise cornerstone. And again, if you've got him in dynasty leagues, don't even think about trading him. Yeah, I watched his home runs over the weekend, and they just are smooth. His swing and the way it just comes off the bat, it's it's no it's a no-doubter. You know it's going out of the park as soon as it's hit. It's not one of those where it just barely clears the fence right by the foul pole. He's got absolute power, and I'm excited to see when he comes up. There's a couple guys that I follow on YouTube. Um, they're the Bat Bros. I think that's what their tag is, and if I'm incorrect, I am sorry, guys. Um, but they actually try out new baseball bats, softball, baseball. They, they buy them, they try them out, they showcase, you know, which bat has a bigger sweet spot, which bat has a, a larger contact zone. And they actually had Adelie Rutschman come to one of their like, you know, little practices or their little showcases and try out a few bats. And these guys, I think were former college baseball players. I think they have some ties to the Oregon state team itself. Uh, and I think one of them actually played for Oregon state. And when Adelie would hit the ball, it was 50 to 100 feet farther than these two. And normally when you say that, you're like, oh, okay, well, he's a professional athlete. But no, like when he would swing the bat, it it was truly incredible. It was almost like watching Griffey when he used to swing, where it's just like the swing itself is what is producing the power, right? It's not necessarily that he's, you know, muscling it out. He's just very fluid. And I'm, I'm surely, I'm thoroughly impressed. I, I really like Adelie Rutschman. All right, let's move on to some prospects that you wanted to talk about. So go ahead, take it away. So Gabriel uh, Moreno for Toronto, he's a catching prospect. He's 21 years old. He had a mammoth home run this past week. He actually ended up hitting the apartments in the minor league stadium. Last player to do that was actually his, his organizational teammate in Vlad Guerrero. He's hitting 367 this year with four home runs. This is a guy in Dynasty Leagues, if you don't have an Adelie Rutschman, if you're not looking to have a cornerstone, maybe like a Smith, and you're possibly losing Posey in the next few years, and Joey Bart maybe obviously hasn't shown what we've liked to see from him, that you can possibly grab in a few Dynasty Leagues. I think he will be 120, maybe 100 games as probably a second-year catcher. So I'd project him in 2023 to be a full-time starter for Toronto. But just adding more power to that lineup, he's got a great swing, very powerful. He does have a high Babbitt this season, but from the catcher position, if you can get 250 with 20 home runs, you know, you're sitting in top five. So definitely go out and grab Gabriel Moreno. Moving on, this is just a fun note if you're a minor league fan. The Nashville Sounds have won 15 games in a row. There's also another team, I think, in the minors right now on a 14-game win streak. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez is blowing up the minor leagues and kind of be to be expected. He started off the year in high A. He was just moved to double A. He hit 100 miles an hour on his first strikeout. So we all love to see that, but also huge red flags. He's throwing hard. That's going to be probably leading to surgery at some point. And then two more to wrap it up. Jackson Cower continues to impress. He was in triple A this past week, five innings, one hit, no earned runs, five Ks. And Spencer Torkelson has partially turned his season around. He's now batting 250 with four home runs. He did hit one 450 to dead center this week as well. Uh, Richie, we talked a little bit about this before. Looks a lot like Pete Alonso with this swing, but you think that he's a better athlete, yeah? Absolutely. He looks better at, um, athletically, and just watching his swing, it looks like he's got less holes in it. It just looks like maybe he was too anxious to begin 
the season. His numbers actually updated since we started. He's now batting 258, so today's stats probably got in there. Um, so he's clearly trending the right right way. I think he'll be in double A by the end of July, hopefully. Yeah, what do you think of Grayson Rodriguez? You know, he's been highly touted for the last couple of years in our circles. What are your thoughts? Personally, I think he's overrated. Um, I tend to stay away from those guys who can consistently touch 100 just because of those Tommy John concerns. I've seen it so often. The only one that hasn't had it is Jacob deGrom, at least from my personal bias. Um, So I tend to like the guys that, you know, they normally sit around 95, 96, but they have higher spin rates. That's what I look for. Well, and we have to remember too, you know, DeGrom was a college shortstop. And if I am correct, he also did have Tommy John already once in his amateur career, but in much different circles, right? DeGrom being a shortstop, not as much use of that arm in the younger years. Grayson's been a pitcher his entire life from what we know. And there's that many more repetitions through his process. You know, we, Dustin May is now the poster child, right? I mean, incredible velocity, incredible stuff, but we've always said it. If you throw that hard, you're going to have to have Tommy John at some point. And very rarely have we been wrong. And I think DeGrom probably is that professional anomaly since he had such a different background. Absolutely. And it scares me because I have Corbin Burns. And when you throw in a slider or a cutter with these guys who can throw that heavy heat, it just has so much torque on the elbow and it's just they're more susceptible to Tommy John. Now, I don't want to put that bad juju out there because we are Brewers fans, but it is something that I worried about when he went on the IL, but it turned out to be COVID related or so they're saying. Um, So I think that wraps up prospects. Let's go over a little game. I know the last few times we've podcasted, we've talked about guessing who the first player is at each position, but it's not really changing much. um, So maybe we'll play that a little later down the road. But what I want to do is I want to go over the top five at each position and compare that to the top five before the season pre-draft and kind of just get our general takes on these players um, and kind of what we're feeling. And maybe there's some underlying reasons for injuries or, you know, something else that's causing this. So what I'm going to do, Matt, is I'm going to go through the top five um, at catcher, first base, so on and so forth. And then we're just going to highlight who jumped into the top five and who fell out. And you kind of tell me what you what you think for each of these players. So we'll start off with catcher. Sitting at first, we have Salvador Perez, followed by Wilson Contreras, Yermin Mercedes, Buster Posey, and Will Smith. So the two newbies in this group is Yermin Mercedes at three and Buster Posey at four. Preseason, number one was JT Real Muto. Wilson Contreras stays at number two, surprise, surprise. Number three is Yasmani Grandal, who has dropped out, but he is currently sixth. And then Salvador Perez at four and Will Smith at five. So, Matt, what do you think with the top five at catcher? I think what we're really seeing is, again, if you want to have some stability and you want to have a stardom and lock them in player at catcher, you're always okay with drafting in the top three, four guys, right? And that even is to go with JT Real Muto. He would be in this list if he hadn't had a prolonged absence. Yosemite Grandal has an awful batting average, but he still has a very good on-pace percentage and is performing okay, especially in points leagues. Now, Buster Posey has far and away out-exceeded any of our expectations that year and a half off that he took from the hip surgery and then sitting out last year 
has clearly paid dividends. The Giants are definitely utilizing him right. I think the most I've seen him start in a row is three games this year, and that was with a game off in between and a game off after. So they're definitely being careful with him. The last player I want to touch actually isn't on this list, and it's Carson Kelly. It's just, again, to go out and say, if you don't draft a JT Muto, you don't draft a Wilson Contreras or a Salvador Perez, you've got Yerman, right? You've got Carson Kelly. As long as you're quick to grab these guys, there are guys that can be out there that can provide you know, top seven upside. And I know that Carson was out with a little bit for an injury, so he didn't make his way into this list. But again, Yerman, man, what an incredible season. What a great story. I'm, I'm happy with what I'm looking at from these catcher ratings. None of these guys outside of Yerman were guys that I would have been surprised to see here. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to the next first base. Now, the rest of these rankings, there's going to be a lot more fluctuation compared to catcher. So first base, sitting at first, we have Vlad. Second bit or second, we have Max Muncy, followed by Matt Olson, Trey Mancini, and then Freddie Freeman. So the newbies in this group are Max Muncy, Matt Olson, and Trey Mancini. Before the season started, number one was Freddie Freeman. Number two is Cody Bellinger, but he has missed most of the year. Number three was Jose Abreu, followed by Vlad. And then number five, Pete Alonzo. So other than Bellinger and Alonzo missing some time, Jose Abreu hasn't. What are your general thoughts on group of first basemen? I think outside of Trey Mancini, this is kind of what I expected, right? With the injuries, because you have to put into the, the fact that guys are going to get hurt. You know, Vlad's having a career year, a breakout year. Good for him. Great. You know, we didn't expect this kind of production, but we did once he finally broke out. This just happened to be the year he broke out. And now he's in the likes of Acuna and Otani, right? Performing with the absolute best in the league. Muncie is always at the top of the leaderboard as long as he doesn't get hurt. He walks. You know, he, he has the ability in that lineup to score runs, drive players in, hit home runs. Matt Olson is outperforming my expectations this season. He is making better contact. Trey Mancini coming back from all of the injuries, you know, the health concerns. Really glad to see him in this list. I think this list is just really showcasing the guys that have stayed healthy. Bellinger's been hurt. Pete Alonso's been hurt. You know, Freeman's right up there. But you know, I, I fully expect Freeman to surpass Mancini, Olsen, and probably Muncy in the next week or two, right? I think he's only 14 points behind. But I'm not really fully surprised. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I completely agree. I think if Pete Alonso and Cody Bellinger were healthy, I think they'd be right up there in the top five, if not top seven. All right, moving along to second base. At first, we have Marcus Semien, followed by Ozzy Albies, Chris Taylor, Eduardo Escobar, and then Whit Merrifield. So the newbies in this list are Marcus Semien, Chris Taylor, and Eduardo Escobar. We kind of knew going into the beginning of the year, Albies and Merrifield were going to be at the top. So let's take a look at what the preseason was. Originally, it was DJ LeMahieu, Ozzy Albies, Whit Merrifield, then Jose Altuve, and Cattell Marte. Now, Cattell Marte has been out for most of the year, but Jose Altuve and DJ LeMahieu have not. Matt, what are your general takes on this? Well, we are seeing Chris Taylor do what he always does, climb his way into a top five of some leaderboard. And he does it in a period of time throughout the year, and then he completely falls off slash disappears. Now, I think his point production is because the Dodgers have had so many injuries. They have no choice but to play him daily, and he's so flexible with his ability to play multiple positions. So I'm not fully surprised with Chris Taylor. Same thing with Eduardo Escobar. 
right? His average is below 250, but he's hitting home runs again. Always good to see. Semyon is showing that that MVP caliber season he had a few years ago in Oakland wasn't necessarily a fluke. Really providing a great upside in that Blue Jays lineup, which is terribly fearsome. So I'm not shocked. And I think from the other side, Kettle Marte, he's fantastic. He's just been hurt. So he'll he'll build his way back up. But Jose Altuve, I think we finally know who he is. He's this. He's the 9-8-7 guy if he gets hot. He's no longer the MVP we used to see. And, you know, I don't necessarily fully put cheating into that equation. I just don't think that he is more than what he is. I think he's getting a little bit older. He was really, really good with contact and stealing in his earlier years. Those have kind of fallen off and gone by the wayside, um, but still plays in a good lineup. Yeah, he definitely was a guy that was highly drafted for his speed, especially in categories and rotals. Uh, but now he's just more of a point specialist. You know, he's going to be ranked 5th to 10th. I don't think he really carries that much value in categories. I was under the pretense that he was going to do great. I actually have him in my categories league. He's doing great for me in batting average and home runs, um, at least for second base, that is. And other than that, though, I haven't seen the speed that I thought I was going to. But let's move on to third base. <clears throat> Currently, we have Chris Bryant atop the leaderboards, followed by Rafael Devers, Jose Ramirez, Nolan Arenado, and your boy Ryan McMahon. Before the season started, it was Jose Ramirez, Alex Bregman, Manny Machado, Anthony Rendon, followed by Rafael Devers. So the newbies to the group are Chris Bryant, Nolan Arenado, who technically was in, I think, sixth or seventh, and then Ryan McMahon. So the, the real ones that stick out are McMahon and Chris Bryant. The ones who fall off are Bregman, Machado, who I think was partially injured, and then Anthony Rendon, who also had two IL stints. Matt, take it away. Yeah, Devers having a nice year. Really nice to see. He struggled last year in the shortened season. And Chris Bryant, I mean, wow. Way to have yourself a contract year, man. Uh, kind of have come back from the living dead. It's great to see, but at the same time, you know, I just don't, I'm not sure that he's going to keep it up. Again, Chicago's getting hot. The rest of the country's getting hot. He plays in a division with a lot of small parks, so I wouldn't be surprised. Ryan McMahon has shown us that he does definitely have a power bat, but that average also hovering around 250. I'm a little concerned that it might drop in the 230s by the end of the year. And then from the other side, Bregman, Machado, and Rendon. Like, you know, Rendon's definitely been a sour spot this season because of those IL stints, because he can't seem to get it going, because probably he's on and off the IL. Machado, I fully expect to have a month or two where he absolutely tears the cover off the ball. In that lineup, with the protection that he has, I cannot imagine him continuing these struggles. Now, with that being said, you know, like you said, he's had an injury, maybe two. He's played through it. Tatis is there. Bregman. Man, again, that Astros lineup has been very disappointing from Jordan Alvarez to Jose Altuve, Bregman. I just feel like there's this black cloud kind of hanging over the lineup, not necessarily the pitchers, but the lineup because of the drama that they had. I do think Bregman will hit you 280 for the rest of the year. He'll probably pick up as the season goes on. Again, it being hot, the ball's going to fly. Jose Ramirez, I'm expecting him to be on a new team in about a month and a half. What do you think? The only thing I would say about Jose Ramirez is the Cleveland Indians are actually outperforming what they were supposed to. They're higher up in their standings. But Chris Bryant, if we look at his underlying numbers, he's actually in the 19th percentile for average exit velocity. So I don't think his home runs are going to stay up just based on how hard he's hitting the ball. But I do expect him to have that high batting average. So maybe he won't be the top guy. 
Um, but I do think he could be a top five, top seven guy. Let's move on to shortstop. At the top, we have none other Fernando Tatis, followed by Bo Bichette, Xander Bogarts, Carlos Correa, and Trey Turner. So the newbies to this group are Bo Bichette and Carlos Correa. Before the season started, it was Fernando Tatis, followed by Trey Turner, Francisco Lindor, who was cold, but he's starting to heat up, Trevor Story, who's currently on the IL, but I think he's returning soon, and then Xander Bogarts. Matt, what do you see here, and is Bo Bichette the real deal? Man, Bo Bichette is just a fantastic player to watch, much like Fernando Tatis. I think from a fantasy perspective, we talked about this earlier in not trading players. I think Bo Bichette needs to be a cornerstone of whoever rosters him. I think you're going to see as he gets older, the power numbers continue to climb. He's always been so good with extra base hits in general, plays in such a fantastic lineup, plays in a little league park. I mean, a minor league park, <laughs> but <laughs> Carlos Correa is kind of my surprise here. You know, he, I think also is fighting for a contract and performing well. You know, he is that rock solid guy in the shortstop rankings that you didn't have to overpay for like a Bogarts or a Bichette or a Tatis or a Trey Turner. He's giving you great production. I think he's also a guy that teams may be willing to move on from this season if you can give him a decent package. I don't expect to see any change in Carlos Correa's season. If you're in a redraft league and you are rostering Francisco Lindor, in my personal opinion, that's an offer I would make immediately for Correa. I know Lindor is heating up, but that Mets lineup has been anemic. You know, Dominic Smith isn't playing well. Alonzo's trying to get his swing back. Nimmo's been out. Conforto's been out. There's just not a lot of help there. And when there's not a lot of help for a guy that really relies on counting numbers, it's kind of a concern. And then Trevor Story, I fully, fully, 100% expect him to be traded. I'm not really sure where, right? The Yankees don't need a shortstop, so that's not the obvious move. The Boston Red Sox clearly don't need a shortstop since Bogarts is on this list. But if you own Trevor Story, I think if you have an opportunity over the next couple of weeks to move him, and especially in a redraft league, I think Correa could be a nice little option as well. I know that's kind of a risky comment on my part, but what are your thoughts on Trevor Story, Richie? Watch him go to the Rays and Wander Franco never comes up. Oh, ever. my God. Don't say that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, realistically, what's going to happen is there's going to be something wrong with Corey Seager, and he's going to get traded to the Dodgers. You heard her here first. Fantasy Baseball Buds, June 6th. What about the Giants, right? No way. They got Brandon Crawford. Yeah, but Crawford could play second. Who's their second baseman this year? Marcus Dubon? Mar yeah. Yeah, get the, get the hell out of here. Um, I like it, though. I agree. I full, fully agree with you. I think he would look great in Dodger blue. Um, I just Other, Otherwise, it depends on where the A's are at. I could see them making a move to get Story and making a push. I, I don't know. I like Maybe. those. I think Dodgers, Giants, great. I think A's, very well possible. You know, the Vegas A's. Unless he, unless, he goes, unless he goes to the AL and he's a DH for somebody. All right, moving on to outfield, probably the, the biggest change in top five. Currently, we have Ronald Acuna at first, Austin Meadows at second, Mark Canna at third, J.D. Martinez at four, and then Nick Castellanos at five. Before the season started, depending on which list you looked at, we have Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, followed by Ronald Acuna, Juan Soto, and Christian Yelich. So other than Ronald Acuna, everybody else is either in or out, and they're completely new people. So what do you see here, Matt? A lot of surprises. We talked before the show today. I was, I was astonished to see where Austin Meadows ranked in the points production, uh, especially for a guy that's batting around 250. 
he's playing though. And if you look at the opposite list, Mike Trout, Juan Soto, Christian Yelich, they've been hurt, right? And Jesse Winker, who had a three home run performance today, I think is jumping into, I'd say, a right above Mark Canna, possibly at two. Winker's the biggest surprise as well. The guy's hitting 350. I think he has 17 home runs now. But you've got Winker, Meadows, and Canna top of the list in the top five. Like, it's incredible. And it just goes to show we have said this year in and year out you can find a Juan Soto on the waiver wire. And Reed Martin, when you listen to this, here's your <laughs> truth. Like right here, three of the top five waiver wire pickups, Mark Canna, Austin Meadows, possibly. Meadows fell off. He probably was drafted, but pretty low. And Jesse Winker, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty aggressive. Um, but yeah, I've always been a proponent that you can find a top 10 outfielder on the waiver wire, I just found Tyler O'Neill last week, who's been absolutely on fire, who we've talked about. Um, he's already got more than 10 home runs. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he's he's creeping up on the lead with Vlad and Acuna, who I think they're at, tied at 16, I believe, maybe 17. Um, but, yeah, you, there's always going to be somebody hot. There's always going to be somebody new. We know Reed listens to this. He picked up Cedric Mullins, who's had a couple few good games. So you can find them out there. It's it's a position that I try not to heavily invest in, maybe the first or two picks, and then I try to leave those last spots open so that I can find somebody on the waiver wire because every year there's somebody new. All right, let me but ask moving... you a question real quick here. Okay, go ahead. You have a first-round pick, right? Yes. And you, you expect X amount of points from them. You have a waiver wire pickup, okay? What is the point threshold that you would be willing to sacrifice with burning that first round pick and drafting, say, a pitcher, and then obviously picking that player up. Okay, so we're talking about Juan Soto here in comparison to a pitcher, and we're talking about Jesse Winker. What would you be comfortable with losing per week in order to draft a different position outside of outfielder? Well, I guess it. Uh, it's, I guess the question you're asking is kind of hard. Are you saying like the difference between Juan Soto and? Jacob DeGrom, or are you so saying say, the difference between Jesse Winker and, say, like, uh, Trevor Rogers? So say your expectation for your first-round pick, being Juan Soto, Mike Trout, okay. Christian yep. Yelich, your expectation is a 30-point performance each week, right? Correct. And, yeah, you could go out and draft a different position. You could get Freddie Freeman. You could get Jacob DeGrom. But my real question for you is your expectation of 30 points from Juan Soto is much different from your waiver wire pickup that you would have then to fill that outfield position. So how many Correct. points from 30 are you willing to subtract and then take a different position? Five, maybe. Okay. okay. Just for the listener's knowledge, this week, Jesse Winker had 37 points. He was eight for 22, four home runs, eight RBIs, seven runs, two walks. Now Juan Soto had, I think, arguably his best week of the year. He had 43 points. Soto was 8 for 23, 3 home runs, 9 RBIs. That's a 6-point difference. So instead of drafting Juan Soto, you were able to pick up Jesse Winker and get a 6-point difference on two arguably fantastic weeks. That, to me, says why would you draft an outfielder in the first round when it is a 6-point difference from a guy that wasn't even drafted? Well, it all, it all depends on where you fall in the draft and what your needs are. Um, and it also depends on what type of league you play in. Um, you also have to be very savvy on the waiver wire, as you, me, and some other colleagues that we play with. 
our waiver wire hawks and constantly looking for the next guy to pick up. I've probably I filtered through almost over half my fab, so I I roll the dice on these guys and you're not always going to hit. So it's it comes down to risk versus reward kind of a thing. You know Juan Soto is going to get you those points. It's a matter of can you risk finding that outfielder? You know they're going to be out there, but are you going to be the lucky person to get them on your team? And I think that's where you have to weigh the pros and the cons. You can also find a, sh a starting pitcher on the waiver wire, but at least for our league that we mainly talk about on this podcast, it's a lot harder to find starting pitchers than there is uh, batters. So that's where I would take Jacob deGrom over someone like a Juan Soto or a Ronald Acuna. Correct. And Acuna, I think, obviously is the outlier here, right? He is the best outfielder by almost 20 points. Now, again, from this top five list, Austin Meadows had a 42-week performance. Mark Canna, a little bit underperformed at 31, but that's what Mark Canna's been doing all season. I fully would not expect to be able to replace Juan Soto with Mark Canna, but Jesse Winker is proving to be what a lot of these waiver wire pickups are year in and year out. He's a guy that's completely replaceable, and it's incredible to me that year after year we have Mike Yastrzemski, we have Jesse Winker, you know, and that list goes on and on. We have Nick Castellanos, the year that he was traded to the Cubs, sitting on a lot of waiver wires because he just didn't perform as well in Detroit. But top five, I love the list. I mean, I'm truly blown away by Meadows and Canna. But, man, I'm, I'm really envious of Winker this year, and I hope he keeps it up. I love the guy. I love his swing. And another three home run performance. What is this now from, two? I think so. Yeah. But let's move on. Starting pitcher. Um, this one's going to surprise you. Sitting at first right now, at least in our league points format, Kevin Gosman, followed by Shane Bieber, Garrett Cole, Trevor Bauer, and then Max Scherzer. So the newbies to this list is Kevin Gosman and Max Scherzer. Before the year started, it was Garrett Cole, Jacob deGrom, Shane Bieber. Depending on who you drafted with and what league site, those were all interchangeable. Followed by Trevor Bauer at four and Clayton Kershaw at five. So the ones outside of this list are Jacob DeGrom and Clayton Kershaw. Clearly DeGrom falls out because he had that stint on the IL and clearly his team doesn't like getting him wins. So in a points format, that is huge. So I guess the main ones are Kevin Gosman and Clayton Kershaw because I think Max Scherzer was sitting at six or seven pre-draft. So what do you see here, Matt? Is Kevin Gosman the real deal? I know we were sitting on him a few years ago, but he just couldn't figure out that splitter he must have found it now. I know you were sitting on him a few years ago, and credit to you. Uh, Kevin Gosman has not been a guy. Coming into this season, I was higher on, but the last few years, I just thought he was a joke. I was not buying the hype. And my God, number one in the rankings. I was blown away when we were doing this before we were recording. And good for him, man. This is why the Giants are having success. You know, he's put it all together, he is showcasing his true talent. I don't expect him to sit at number one the rest of the year, but you know what? I do expect him to be top 10, and that is not something I ever would have said with a logical mind coming into the year. Uh, Bauer and Cole, we'll have to see. A little concerned, obviously, as we talked earlier in the show. Max Scherzer, credit to you, man. You completely made me look foolish with my preseason expectations for you. I'm very happy. I'm going to be extremely excited to root for you in the Yankees in August. And Kershaw and DeGrom, hey, man, you know, they just keep doing what they're doing. They are steady. They are strong. Kershaw's getting wins. DeGrom's out here playing at a Hall of Fame level and can't get a win to save his life. Um, this is a good list. Gosman being a surprise, but you know, kudos to those people that drafted him later in the draft. 
Yeah, it's it's upsetting because I have been on Gosman and he's been on my team like, what years was it, 2017, 18, and 19 he was on my team and I was like, yeah, he's got the best splitter in the league. He's going he's gonna to break out, but yeah, here we are. I mean, you Anyways, also, moving on. You also have to think, he's in a ballpark that, sh- that suits his abilities, right? Being in San Francisco is exactly where he needs to pitch. Not in Atlanta, right? And I don't even remember the other team, but I think he was in Baltimore. I think wasn't it was he? the Orioles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I he's, think I had him in his Baltimore Orioles years. Yeah, he's finally I did a not have him when he's on the break. That isn't, yeah. you know, a home run bonanza. Yeah, and he's got a new ball to work with. <laughs> but let's move on to to relief pitchers. So at the top we have Freddie Peralta, who's technically a starter, but for this exercise we'll put him as a relief. Followed by Alex Reyes, Josh Hader, Araldis Chapman, and Mark Melanson. So three new ones in this list, Freddie Peralta, Alex Reyes, and Mark Melanson compared to preseason where we had Liam Hendricks, Josh Hader, Araldis Chapman, Kenley Jansen, and Edwin Diaz. Liam Hendricks is sitting sixth on the leaderboard, so he just missed the cut, but Kenley Jansen and Edwin Diaz are sitting 37th and 29th in the rankings, so those are the big names here. Alex Reyes, we all thought he was going to be a starter, but he ended up being the reliever. Mark Melanson, he's just getting the volume on that Padres team. Not necessarily the greatest closer, but it is what it is. Matt, what do you see? I mean, Josh Hader and Araldis Chapman are who we thought they were, right? Sitting there, been fantastic for everyone's teams this year. Alex Reyes, big surprise. But anyone that was able to control that St. Louis job as the closer and stay healthy was going to perform well, much like the expectation for the Oakland A's, which has not gone well for any of them. And Alex Reyes is dominating. Great player. I think you're going to see it continue as long as they don't move him out of that role. I know Jordan Hicks is obviously still hurt, may not come back this year. Uh, Freddie Peralta, I did want to mention a little bit earlier when we were talking about those injuries sustained from no-hitters. Freddie Peralta this week almost threw a no-hitter, and I was extremely happy he didn't. He was going to be sitting at about 120 if he ended up completing that game and throwing a no-hitter. Freddie Peralta has no business throwing 120 pitches. I love Freddie. I think he's got great stuff, but he sits anywhere from, you know, 90 to 105. And to ask a guy like that who throws predominantly fastballs to throw 15 more pitches than he normally throws or ever has thrown is a huge risk for injury. Freddie Peralta, I expect to continue this dominance in the Sparp role. I expect to see him number one at the end of the year. What are your thoughts on Freddie? Yeah, I loved I loved him from the beginning. He was uh, the one reliever I tried to draft. Um, I just got all bid for him. I knew that he was developing secondary pitches. I feel like we've talked about it in the past. Um, he, he's figured out his command, and I think he's the next Corbin Burns of this year. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's, that's pretty much how I feel about it. I don't know how the Brewers are doing it, but I'll take it. it absolutely. So, uh, Jansen and Diaz, I just wanted to touch on. I fully expect there to be an opportunity for Diaz to lose his job this season. Uh, Familia is pitching fantastic in that bullpen and was their closer before they traded for Diaz before Familia beat up his wife or his girlfriend or the wall. I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) And Jansen is old and worn out, but he is making a lot of money a year. He's also a clubhouse leader. I don't expect him to lose his job. I think he should should have already, but they've had injuries in that bullpen. You know, Bruce Star Gratterall isn't ready for that role yet. Blake Trinan has gotten hurt. They lost Corey Knable to, I think, for the year. So the guys that were going to take his role have fallen off. So, you know, Jansen obviously is going to stick with that role. They also blow everybody out. So who really cares? 
Yeah. All right, let's finish up the show with some streaming pitchers and some bats if you're got a hole that you need to fill. So, Matt, I'm going to let you take over the pitching options, and I'll go through the bats, and then we'll wrap it up. Let's do it. So we have four players that may or may not be on your waiver wire, depending on how shallow your leagues are. We've got a few double starts this week, but these are the guys that I highlighted. Robbie Ray goes up against the White Sox in Boston this week. Valdez is back for the Astros. He also plays Boston, and then he goes to Minnesota. Valdez had a 10-strikeout performance. He looks great. If anybody has not picked him up in your league because of the injury, grab him immediately. He will have immense value for you. Albert Elzali for the Cubs is on a double start this week. He is facing tougher opponents, but he has pitched a string of games with a great success rate. Elzali is playing San Diego and St. Louis. Again, tougher matchups. Nick Pavetta is playing Miami and Toronto. Obviously, that Miami game looks juicy, but Miami has been surprising me quite a bit as of late. But Pavetta might be out there on the waiver wire, a guy that through the years has had high-touted ability but hasn't put it together. Boston's playing well, and he's getting wins. And then finishing it off with a player that is probably on your waiver on your waiver wire, Adrian Hauser for the Brewers has the best matchups of the week that I've seen. As long as Jesse Winker does not have a seven-home run game, <laughs> Hauser plays Cincinnati and then the juicy Pittsburgh Pirates. If Hauser is out there, you're in a points league, go out, drop your worst player, plug him into the lineup. I think he can get two wins this week, and Hauser's control has been better. Yeah, I like it. Well, moving along for the bats, we have first baseman Patrick Wisdom for the Cubs. He has been absolutely on fire lately. He's been filling in for Nico Horner, but he's been picking it up as of late. I think over the past week and a half, he has four or five home runs. If you need somebody at shortstop, we have Willie Adamas, who recently got traded to the Brewers. This might be us just being homer biased, but he's been absolutely on fire. We watched a home run from him over the weekend, and it was he just crushed a slider, hit it to left center, hit it on the second deck. We've talked about how he's told the Rays organization that he can't see properly when he's in the home stadium and all he needed was a change of scenery. So hopefully that works out well for him. Ty France at second base or first base you could use. looks like he just needed an IL stint to let his wrist or hand um, heal up a little bit. So maybe he's back. If you need somebody at catcher, James McCann is only rostering about 30% of ESPN leagues. He is a good fill-in for somebody who you might be missing. And then lastly, for third base or second base, Jonathan India. He's strung together a few multi-hit games over the past uh, week, and he also has a couple homers. So somebody to ride the hot streak. I don't know if he'll do it for the whole season, but he could be a nice fill-in. Yeah, who would have ever thought that India out of Florida, out of the College of Florida, would have been a better performer than Nick Senzel? You know, it's... That's how baseball works, man. Sometimes these guys just outperform each other, and sometimes prospects don't hit. Yeah, you never know. You, It's crazy how some people uh, develop later than others. But uh, that's going to wrap it up for the show. Thank you all for joining, and we'll see you guys next week. 